Uh, an empathetic leader doesn't mean that you're a soft touch or a pushover because you have boundaries. If you have boundaries, you will self-advocate and you will express your own needs. So you're actually a formidable negotiator. You're listening to the Wholehearted Podcast and I'm your host, Cohen Tan. I'm on a mission to set hearts free and inspire people to break out of their self-limitations to create the life of their dreams. Each episode, I speak to people around the world who live with vigor, courage, and authenticity. And I hope their stories can inspire you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, wholehearted listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Podcast. I'm very excited to announce that this is the first episode of the Wholehearted Leadership Podcast, where we will be talking to leaders who are able to inspire and create wholehearted workplaces to bring out the best in people. Today, we have a special guest with us. Her name is Fabronia Ruoko. She is a Global Strategic Insight Director who has worked for many multinational companies. Some of these companies, you've probably heard of them before, like Cadbury Schweppes, Diageo, Heinz, McDonald's, Heineken, and more recently, GlaxoSmithKline. Fabronia is also a mentor for WIRE, Durham University Leadership Academy, as well as an executive coach with the Henley Business School. Hi, Fabronia. Hello, Corinne. How are you? I'm very, very good. As you can see, I just came back from a vacation recently. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've been so excited to appear on your podcast. It's a real pleasure. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Fabronia, tell, tell us a little bit more about what's exciting your life right now. Well, as you pointed out, I'm doing a coaching certification with the Henley Business School. So, I've been very busy attending different uh, workshops, uh, boot camps, meeting lots of great peers. And it's a really fantastic experience. And so much so that I'm progressing to the next stage next year. So, I'm loving every aspect. And before I decided to start studying again, there was lots of thoughts that went through my mind like, am I too old to be doing this? And you know what? It's turned out to be one of the best things I've ever done. I am absolutely loving the experience. And the professors at Henley are superb. It's a very nice segue into, into our topic for the day. Like, wholehearted leadership. What does being a wholehearted leader mean to you? It's a very, very good question, and I'm giving it a little bit of reflection as you asked. And I think being a wholehearted leader, you have to really have a purpose, first of all. Um, and I'd like to think my purpose is helping others to unlock their potential and grow. So I think if you're a wholehearted leader, you want other people to win. So you're not going to hold back. You're going to encourage them to do well, and, and you're going to train for succession because one day they're going to surpass you if you're doing your job correctly. So being wholehearted means showing up completely and authentically, listening to other people and their perspective, being willing to grow and learn from your team because, you know, you, you need a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset, being encouraging and motivating and I recently read Radical Candor by Kim Scott, and that mm. was very thought-provoking as well because you need to be able to give constructive feedback. So when things are not quite right, you mustn't hold back. You must say, look, 
this could be improved and do it in a constructive and helpful way. Um, she actually talks about when we hold back for fear of offending a team member, we actually create dysfunction in the team. So I thought that was a very interesting concept. Indeed, sometimes when we hold back from giving feedback, um, what we are doing is we are robbing people of an opportunity to learn something, isn't it? Exactly. And we are not doing them any service at all. We are kind of enabling um, dysfunction, in, in, in your words, or maybe just enabling a kind of lazy thinking around, you know, work. And I think um, what needs to be said has to be said, but in a very kind and compassionate way. That's great. So why do, you, why do you think are some of the obstacles for leaders serving wholeheartedly today? I think it comes back to one thing. I think confidence, self-confidence and self-compassion are really key because as a leader, you have to accept, you have to have a bit of radical acceptance that not everybody is going to like you. Uh, and that's a real challenge because all of us want to be liked, we want to be accepted, we want to be a part of the tribe. But as a leader, you're there to inspire others. You're not there to be their best friend. And I think being really clear on those boundaries and also being accepting of, you know, you're not part of the chit-chat, you're not part of the going out after work, that, that, that's all normal because you're the leader. So accepting your role with grace and accepting if, you know, some of the dynamics are not always positive, but you keep on your track and stay in your lane and keep to your purpose and your vision and your mission um, and, and gain respect. It's more about respect from the team than being liked, I think. I mean, that's my perspective. What do you think, Cohen? I think that's uh, you've have, you've have shed a lot of golden nuggets over there. Really um, showing up authentically um, and being able to accept that you're not going to be for everybody. Personally, I think um, no. that's something that I've taken a long time to to get. <laughs> uh, and the reason why <laughs> is because uh, you know I grew up uh, being outcast and rejected by people around me, so. I spent a good part of my adult life um, trying very hard to fit in, to be accepted and to be approved of. And it's almost like, you know, spending all that time and energy going after acceptance and fitting in when I am actually, you know, sacrificing another part of me that wants to show up authentically, as you said. Um, there are times when I... You know, very often we, we come out of a meeting and we, we regret, right, immediately, oh, I should have said that I, I the, the times when I didn't stand for myself, I didn't set my boundaries, I said yes when I actually wanted to say no, I didn't push back when um, I felt, you know, being wronged. And I think, you know, these are things that, that eat at us on a daily basis, isn't it? And I think... The key here is self-awareness, right? Um, the ability to reflect on it. And in the word that you said, self-compassion. Reflect on it, accept it without beating yourself up. Yeah, it's interesting because I had a mentoring session this week and we talked about the topic of being comfortable with not always knowing and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's important also for a leader because you you can't always know all the answers sometimes you need to think about something or you need to say authentically 
you know what? I don't know in this moment, but give me a couple of days to think about it and I'll come back to you. And I think showing that degree of vulnerability and the fact that you're going to go away, you're going to think, you're going to research, you're going to do some work around the topic shows that you're more human, that you're not just a machine that comes up with these automated answers. And I think also in this era of artificial intelligence and chat GPT, it's really important that we think about how we communicate and connect because the need for human skills is greater than ever before. Um, and so I think, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable takes quite a lot of courage. Um, but I think as the wholehearted leader, we need to embrace that courage as well. That's so inspiring, right? And I think you are such a great student of life. Um, in our previous conversations, I really, uh, you, you are like an encyclopedia of knowledge and you're just like reading off, <laughs> reading off several books and you're, you're such a student of life. Have you always been so curious? I've always loved reading. I think from being a small child, I used to love um, books that told great stories. So I used to love Enid Blyton, books about ponies and Jim Carners and adventures, uh, The De Three Detectives by Alfred Hitchcock. So I always used to read and I used to imagine in my mind all these wonderful places and characters and just got really inspired by it. And then I, I did love my student years at school and at university. I Yeah, I do love it. Um, I'm burying my head in a book and studying. I love it. How has your curiosity served you in your working life? I think growing up as a daughter to Italian parents in the UK, my whole childhood was filled with curiosity because I was straddling two different cultures and also spending my summers in this wonderful picturesque village in the Amalfi Coast, on the Amalfi Coast, sorry. And so I was integrating all these different cultures, these different practices, different ways of celebrating uh, different events. So I always had a lot of questions from my mum, and I'd say, you know, why do we do this like this here, but it's different in Nonna's house? Why do we do things differently there? Why does Nonna cook differently to you? So I was always curious about um, very small details and I was always very perceptive. So that curiosity then has gone on to help me in my career because I've led cross-cultural teams uh, on insight projects around the world. And that insight into understanding that different cultures do do things differently has helped me tremendously in the work I, I've done using consumer knowledge to help design products and services. Wow. And you mentioned in a previous conversation, a, a chat that we had, that uh, your father is an avid reader. Would you say that that's something that's rubbed off on you? Well, when I was younger, my father always encouraged me to read English books and Italian books. I think it's important to maybe explain to the audience that my mum raised us speaking Italian and my dad was the person who spoke English. So we were raised bilingually. And my dad was very much a stickler for education and doing well at school and encouraged us to read. And I used to often go and look at his bookshelves and he had um, different language books, French, Spanish, Russian uh, from his student days. So I think it inspired me in a lot of ways to then go on and study languages. 
and he loves geography and traveling. So that's something that I've inherited as well. Fantastic. And that's why it makes you such a fascinating person to talk to, right? And also um, your, that also fuels your curiosity. I am a firm believer that when we learn multiple languages, it's more like, you know, it's like our brains, you know, the neural pathways are more well-developed. And I think um, that really explains for you as well. And it really definitely helps you in your cross-cultural um, working experience, doesn't it? I've spoken at a recent podcast that curiosity is um, the willingness to have that self-acceptance, to be vulnerable enough to, to, to admit that you don't have all the answers. And sometimes to, to put the shoe on the other foot by asking this question, so tell me more. So show me how. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and learning from your team members as well. And as a mentor yourself, I'm sure you have had several reverse mentoring sessions, right? Like this reverse yeah. mentoring moments when you learn as much from your mentee as much as they learn yeah. from you. Absolutely. And I think also being a student myself at university at this stage in my life, means that, you know, I'm surrendering to not knowing about a certain topic and I'm going in wholeheartedly wanting to learn. And I think that also shows vulnerability and energy and commitment to growth. So I think wholehearted leadership is about, it's coming to me now, it's about inspiring others by the way we behave in different situations and showing them that, you know, it's okay to be human. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to not always know the answers. But what's um, intuitive is that desire to grow and learn and go and find out and, and be part of that growth journey. Fantastic, fantastic. So a very big part of wholehearted leadership is also empathy, right? And I, mm -hmm. I know you to be a very empathetic person. Have you always been an empathetic person or is that a learned skill? I think like you, I was quite a sensitive child growing up, very um, uh, close to animals. I loved flowers and plants and music and did dance. So I was always kind of very in tune with my emotions. Um, I think as I've got older and have developed my career, Empathetic leadership, my understanding of it has changed because originally, like most people, I thought it was just about the soft skills, but an empathetic leader is also about the commercial success of the business and we're very focused on the P&L and the growth and su success in market. So it's how do we inspire a team using a very humanistic approach to unlock their potential to drive the commercial success of the business. So being empathetic doesn't exclude your commerciality. It actually strengthens it. Absolutely. I remember, I recalled uh, you were mentioning on a previous uh, chat that um, soft skills are not soft at all. Um, soft skills are actually very, very important and they're hard to learn and pick up. They're very challenging. And also, uh, an empathetic leader doesn't mean that you're a soft touch or a pushover because you have boundaries. If you have boundaries, you will self-advocate and you will express your own needs. So you're actually a formidable negotiator. And this is sometimes for gotten and you're also very results driven because you're a leader you know you have to deliver so I think the interpretation of empathetic leadership 
is sometimes associated with being a little bit soft or too feminine. You know, we think about feminine energy, but it's not at all. If you're doing your job correctly as an empathetic leader, you're respectful, but you're still driving the business. Wow, fantastic. So tell me a little bit more about um, your journey um, in the corporate world. How have you been able to balance your empathy, curiosity um, with your ability to drive PNL? I think I've been very blessed and fortunate to work in some great businesses uh, and to have variety and meet such a wealth of different leaders and teams and different skills, skilled individuals. And it's, it's been a true privilege and one I'm truly thankful. So anyone who's listening, who has worked with me, thank you for being a part of my journey. Um, I've also had good mentors myself, often my line managers or individuals within those businesses that helped me to navigate the challenges within a business and to develop those people skills, which are very important in consumer insight because we drive insights into the heart of the business, but we also do a lot of the marketing mix testing to work closely with the stakeholders and marketing directors. So learning how to engage, learning to appreciate the stress that individuals are under that, you know, a lot is riding on their performance and the success of their initiatives and activations. So always treating individuals with that in mind and, and, and being conscious of their time, also being prepared for meetings, taking the time to look back at data and so on and being thoughtful and considerate, as well as provocative when needed is very important. So I think I've had my tough moments. I've had my challenging moments. I've had my moments where I've got it wrong or been out of kilter with strategy or the step of thing. But on the whole, a greater percentage of the time I got things right. But that was due to the fantastic people around me. You spoke about being vulnerable, right? Um, so I'm going to invite yeah. you to be a little vulnerable right now. Do you yeah. have a time when you felt that you was probably the lowest possible moment in your career and when you don't always get things right. And how did you rectify the situation and find your way back? A low moment was once working on an international project where we got uh, data back from a big study and it was looking at India. And the data was very, very different to the original data set. And at first, we presumed everything had gone wrong, that something had gone wrong on the study. Um, and, and I was thinking, oh, my God, if this is the case, then, then my job's on, on the line here. So I was very nervous, very worried, very concerned. But luckily, I had a great uh, line manager who was supportive. And what we did was go back to the supplier and check and ask all the questions and get them to check the data and to rerun any part of it that needed to be re rerun or edit different parts that maybe weren't um, coded correctly. So we did all of that as a first stage. And what? And we spoke to the market, to India, to the team, and said, "Look, we need to understand what's going on in the data." And we did it very sensitively, very respectfully. No blaming, no blame shifting, no getting angry, no getting cross. Just in a very collaborative team way. And what transpired was that the data was correct. It was the market that had shifted. 
so dramatically. There had been uh, an influx of, I think, between 60 and 100 new products in that category segment, which had shifted out all of the scores. Um, but it, you know, it was a concerning time because it was an expensive piece of work and there was a lot riding on it. So although at the time I thought, oh my God, it's all gone wrong, it had actually gone right. So I think being vulnerable, asking for help, asking for support from all the different stakeholders helped us reach the conclusion that actually we've done a really good job. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Um, tell me of a time when you have had an opinion that you thought you were right about, but you were proven wrong. That's a great question. Usually in, in a, an insight opinion, I'm usually quite thoughtful and considered. Um, I think probably in innovations uh, where we've been developing concepts, um, I think if I think back to some of that type of work, sometimes I've been a little bit too focused on the actual insight rather than the benefit. Um, so that's the best I can think of at this moment in time. But in, in innovation, you're working very fast and very iteratively. Um, and there's usually lots of stakeholders involved. I can tell you an example of when I was proven right and how I did it. Uh, but I can't really think of one where I was proven completely wrong. We had one situation where there was a challenge with an innovation product and I and I really knew I had the gut instinct it wouldn't work with consumers but the global director was convinced it was the next best thing so what we did was invited consumers to come in and chat to him and tell him what they really thought of the product and we set it up and managed it really uh, really well and it was groundbreaking because to actually hear and see the consumers and lovers of the products and brands that the global director was responsible for it it, it was uh, a breakthrough because to hear them say look this doesn't really work for us and these are the reasons why was uh, fantastic and it really helped save the business a lot of money fantastic and i think you're also uh, very big on mentoring right you're mentoring people and um, i think you have also shared that mentors have played a big part in your career development mm. What are some advice you have for the younger people entering into the workforce in terms of searching for and finding mentors? I think um, the young generation entering the workforce, and I have my own family, my niece who's about to enter the workforce this year as well. I think you all have a lot of tremendous skills to bring to the workforce, uh, and particularly the the way they engage with technology and it's so adaptable as well as their attitude and perspectives on um, portfolio careers. I think they're very versatile and they're very agile. But I think it's important to understand the organizations where you're working, the cultures, the values, how things get done so that you can navigate your way through that. So my advice would be to find a mentor within the business that you're joining. It doesn't have to be a line manager, but someone that you trust and that you can go to and have objective conversations with and they can share their experience with you. It just gives you that little bit of support um, and insights into the business that will help you become uh, embedded within the culture and also 
uh, give you the platforms from which to deliver the great things that you can do. But I always encourage everybody from the first uh, weeks of starting within a business to think about getting a mentor. As you face the challenges of living up to your own and others' expectations, you may sometimes feel lost and lonely. However, know that you're not alone. We are here to support you in leaning courageously into your heart's promptings. If you'd like more tips, resources, and to learn more about how you can live more wholeheartedly, or to book me as a speaker, trainer, or coach, please go to coentan.com. That's C-O-E-N-T-A-N dot com. But isn't it quite um, overwhelming and maybe intimidating if you are new to an organization to reach out to people uh, to look for mentors? Well, I think as a first step, you can talk to HR. So find out, you know, is there a mentoring program that exists within the organization? Find out information. You don't need to sign up immediately, but already start thinking about it. Uh, I had a situation in one organization where I picked as a mentor a really challenging director. And the reason for that was I wanted to get better at being challenged and challenging back. And it, and it worked tremendously. So think about what you want to gain from your mentor. Is it support? Is it Do you want to be pushed that little bit further? Do you want to be challenged? Do you want to be, how uncomfortable do you want to be? So picking your favorite person might not always be the best uh, mentor for the skills you're trying to develop. I love that. I mean, this is very much similar to what you said earlier on about, you know, being comfortable with uh, discomfort. Um, yeah. I think many people, when we look for mentors or coaches, we look for people who would approve of us or who would, you know, yeah. validate us. But it becomes counterproductive, isn't it? Well, it depends if you're if you're really striving to get to the next level or you have a, a big career ambition goal that you want to achieve. Then someone who's not going to hold back, who's going to tell you straight and directly, this you need to improve this, you need to improve that, but you need to be resilient. You need to be able to take it on the chin. So I would recommend thinking carefully about what do you want to achieve from the mentorship? What is it that you hope to gain? What are your core goals and objectives? And then finding the um, individual who has the best experience to deliver that for you. What is some advice you would give to people who are working in organizations that are misaligned to their values? Oh, it's, it's the tricky one because it depends on why you're doing that job. If you're if you're doing a job and you're dependent on the salary, it's very hard to uh, say to somebody, you know, you should therefore move or change if there's a lot riding on that. So I think we have to be sensitive to individuals' needs. But I think it is easier to succeed and to thrive if you're in an organization that is aligned to your values and where your purpose is coming to life. So, for example, if you believe in sustainability and protecting the environment, there's no point going and driving production on a lot of plastic-based products. You would just feel miserable every day. So I think really thinking about before taking a job, how, how does this align with my 
aspirations? How does it align with my goals? Can I see myself here two years, three years from now? Um, do I believe in the vision of the company? Do I believe that I have a mission that can support that? I think these are big questions that we need to ask ourselves. Those are great questions to ask ourselves, right? In terms of like finding your North Star. I think it's, yeah. you talked about living life and showing up authentically. But uh, mm. I think the key to authentic living is really knowing your values and knowing your North Star. I think and know your purpose. What 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 is it that is at the core of your essence? So, for me, it's unlocking that potential in others. That gives me tremendous joy, whether it's within a marketing context or a, a coaching context. So, but once you find that north star, it's a pleasure to go to work. You love working. You don't need to find a life that gives you a holiday from your work because you are happy doing what you're doing. But yes. if you're if you're getting up and really in resistance to what you're doing every day, that takes its toll on the psyche and eventually on the body and causes chronic illness as well. So, did you always know what your your purpose in life is, or was there like a specific moment when you had this aha, this like epiphany that's like, wow, this is it. Um, I started at uni studying languages, but always with the intention of bringing that to the corporate world in somehow. And then when I went on to do a postgrad in marketing, I remember being with a, 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 a friend who was doing the same course, and she was asking me, do you really enjoy this? And I was like, yeah, I love it. And I think that's when the light bulb went up that marketing was for me. I wasn't clear at that point whether I would become a marketer or an insight specialist but I knew I wanted to work with advertising products innovation um, so I think it was probably when I was yeah in my early 20s that I realized yeah this is the road for me but then along the way um, I established what which part of the road which lane on that road I would specialize in fantastic what are three books that have made the biggest yeah. impact on you? One book that I read last summer by Tara Westover called Educated was seminal, I think. It was about a story of a young girl who grew up with a family in Idaho uh, who had very particular beliefs about how to live their life. They didn't believe in um, medical assistance, they didn't believe in having passports or registering their children, um, a number of things. Um, you could say they were a little bit suspicious of the government and um, authorities in, in the world, but they were a loving family and they raised their children in a way that they knew best. But what inspired me about that book was the capacity of the young girl to go on from a limited homeschooling to become a, a doctor from Cambridge University. And it just shows the power of um, dedication and commitment because her purpose was, to was really to learn. And she went on a fantastic journey of um, resolving, you know, her own adversity through childhood uh, and going on to become a doctor uh, at uh, Cambridge University in the UK. Wow, what a story. It is. Uh, a second book 
um, that I've enjoyed. Um, you said three, didn't you? Yes, two more. Another book is by Viktor Frankl. Menses one meaning, right? Yeah. Yes, and he talks about the importance of the ability to think before we act. That that split second that gives us the choice of how we respond to a situation and his capacity to find positives even within the concentration camps in the Second World War is absolutely mind-blowing. So that that has been a significant book. The third book is a trilogy and I read it at university and it's Dante Alighieri's uh, Inferno, uh, Purgatory mm. and Paradise, the Divine Comedy. Uh, and I think as I studied it for my final exams, I was very much focused on the exam questions and so on. But as I've got older, I've looked back and thought, oh my gosh, the learnings and the, the stories within that trilogy are just tremendous. Uh, all about the pathway to freedom, pathway to salvation, on whichever level you interpret it, whether it's religious or universal. I just think it's um, an important lesson. And, and it's also interesting that the main protagonist also has a mentor within the trilogy. So Dante is mentored by Virgil, the great poet, classicist poet. Um, and interesting that I've gone on in my life to, to really believe in mentoring and coaching. So just interesting. Fantastic, fantastic. I, th I think that is the, the hallmark of a great book, right? It's like at different stage of your life when you're reading it and you're reading again, you get different insights and different epiphanies and realizations from them depending on your context and which part of your life you're at. I think it's rare as well that you pick up a book that just has you so engrossed. And one that I'm reading at the moment is uh, Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score, all about the uh, trauma, how, how uh, as a doctor, he's developed his trauma expertise and knowledge through working with a number of different clients from veterans suffering from PTSD to um, people in the community that are suffering from different relational traumas and it is absolutely mind-blowing um, and the insights that he shares about how the body retains memories is just incredible and I think re uh, reading it I'm realizing just you know we're talking about AI but you know we are a fantastic computer ourselves yes the body is a fantastic machine and you will definitely know that, right? Because I understand that you have had an injury that really changed your perspective of life. Talk us through that. Yeah, I'm, yeah I had a running injury which impacted on my gait. So I have an, uh, a clumsy gait. And um, yeah, so that I used to be an avid spinner in the gym all the time. So I had to reframe a little bit what I can do now versus what I used to do. But, you know, adaptations exist and I still do my fitness and yoga and Pilates. I, you know, I don't do all the crazy stuff in the gym anymore, but I still stay fit. Um, and I think, you know, it, it makes me think whatever we're challenged with in life, we can always reframe and find other ways to enjoy doing the things we love doing. That is the hallmark of resilience and um, fantastic. Thanks for sharing. And, I, and I'm so... I'm so inspired that you're studying about 
trauma as well because I am embarking on a journey of studying trauma and therapy myself. And uh, there's just so much to unpack, isn't it? And um, so, right. So would you say that this is like the the next frontier for you in terms of your work, in terms of mentoring, coaching, um, and understanding trauma? Or would you say that this is something that you can also marry and, you know, integrate and fuse into your work around insights and marketing research? I think my work is very focused on marketing still, and uh, I'm entering into a new frontier with executive coaching. So my coaching is very much about developing people within the marketing and business environment. My interest in trauma is very personal because it's uh, supportive of my own experience with my own injury. Um, so I'm not developing any qualifications in that. There are a lot of people that are suffering, you know, with different um, reactions to what we've been through and particularly young people. So my interest in trauma is understanding it at a collective level and also being able to, to notice signs so that if I'm working with individuals in a team who are exhibiting signs of PTSD or uh, some type of uh, trauma symptom, that I'm better placed to talk to them and support them. Um, I also am a mental health first aider. I did the certificate in that because I think it's important in today. But I think it can do us no harm to understand trauma because there is so much of it about, you know, and I think when we understand how it affects us and how we can inherit from the transgenerationally, it makes us have a little bit more compassion for each other. When we maybe act in ways that, could be seen as oh that's a little bit strange or that reaction's a bit off kilter but if you understand trauma you can uh, take space and pause from that and give that person a little bit of compassion absolutely in fact um, as an executive um, leadership coach myself just like you yeah um, a lot of the work that I do with my clients is around you know the trauma as well I think um, at, at a certain level you're not looking for, you know, coaching in terms of skills or coaching in terms of, you mm -hmm. know, um, soft skills. I think they all have that within them. They also have that ability to think strategically. But it's often what trips us up is our our story, our trauma, our inner narrative. And really, it's about yeah. playing that inner game, isn't it? And that's what you are talking about in terms of helping people to unlock that potential so that they can access the yeah. inner game and move to the next level. I think if I understand it correctly, if someone is suffering from trauma, they lose sight of their connection with self and their own um, trajectory and abilities and capacities. So a therapist would therefore help them to reconnect and, and that they are skills that I, I obviously don't have. I'm not in the therapeutic world or uh, have the certifications in that respect. Um, but I think things like dealing with imposter syndrome, lack of confidence, self-doubt, a, a heavy inner critic are definitely work that, you know, coaches come across every day. Yeah. And it never goes away, isn't it? It's like the, the higher you climb, the, the louder the, the, the noise gets, actually. Because what we have learned to do is we have learned to kind of like suppress and push down that the trauma, that inner, that inner messiness, and not wanting to deal with it um, by overcompensating and working harder to try to mm -hmm. get more approval, get more respect, climb the corporate ladder, 
But the inner game and that inner messiness, right, it's still there in some way, shape or form, unless we deal with it at source. And that's that's my personal philosophy and belief. Mm. And I agree with that. And I also think that society helps us develop a fear of failure, but also a fear of success. So if you get success, it's, am I good enough? What if I fail? And if you fail, it's like the end of the world. But failure is a part of success. We, we only succeed when we learn from the failures beforehand. So I think we need to reframe how we look at failure and success and what they both mean to us. For me personally, success means thriving, being well, being happy, being fulfilled. Um, yes, you know, the accolades, the awards, the uh, trappings of the success are nice. But for me, it's more about feeling uh, fulfilled and satisfied by the work that I'm doing, the people that I'm meeting. But failure for me is an opportunity to sit back, reflect and learn. I don't see it as a drama. I see it as part, as part of the journey. Well, for many people who have been brought up with the message that failure is not acceptable, yeah. that is such a trauma, isn't it? And then they, they never learned how to feel gracefully. I think my improv teacher said this thing. Uh, when, I, when I learned improv in 2018 um, in London, he said, if you learn martial arts, they wouldn't let you do anything dangerous unless you've learned to fall safely. It's the same thing too because uh, you would never be allowed anywhere near a stage or improv um, theater unless you've learned to fail gracefully. And I think that was such yeah. a life-changing lesson for me. That is. And if we go back to empathetic leadership, if you are an empathetic and the strong leader, you won't put your team in a position that they're going to fall. You're always going to make sure that you put them forward when they're ready. And if they do fall, you're there to catch them. Yes. And also providing the psychological safety for them to, to try exactly. and fail and not be punished for their failures. Yes, and to embrace that and break the perfectionist mold because perfectionism can be very damaging as well. Fantastic. Okay, let's just change things up a little bit here. Okay, let's have some quick fire questions. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. Right, so quick fire questions are just short answers to a question, right? So first question, what's the most powerful question you have ever been asked before? Oh, um, where will you be in 10 years' time? Because how will you know? You don't know if you'll even be here on the earth in 10 years' time. But that's a powerful question, right? Like it causes you to really It is a very powerful question. The impact you want to have. Okay, talking about mentors, who is one mentor, just one, who has made the biggest difference in your life? I think, my, I, I won't mention the name, but the director that I worked with at Cabri Chouette, uh, who is still a very good friend today, um, I think mentored me at that pivotal stage in my career that gave me tremendous confidence to work internationally. Fantastic. What is one advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Trust in the process. Love it. 
what is one of the most courageous things you have done in your life that's made all the difference? I think doing uh, contract work at the time when I started doing it, uh, assignments and consultancy assignments was pivotal because it took me to working on uh, famous brand after famous brand after famous brand. So although it was a little bit more of an unstable career trajectory, it turned out to be a very powerful one for me. Thank you. Have you always lived so spontaneously in your life? No, I'm not someone who adapts so quickly to change. So um, I've learned to take things more as they come. But when I was younger, I would struggle with change and restructures and so on. And so how then did you learn to adapt? Um, I think I just uh, learned to surrender because there's so many things that we cannot control. So it's the survival of the fittest that uh, Charles Darwin talked about, who were the most adaptable. So being adaptable allows you to have longevity within a career, within a relationship. So um, I think learning to flex and to pivot was very key for me. Great. Fantastic. I, I think it's been a good session. <laughs> I enjoy doing that because I think um, a great conversation is really um, when we, are, we lean in and be willing to challenge each other because I believe that a dialogue is not response and trigger, response and trigger. To me, a dialogue is about thinking together. It's been a real joy and I think your experience is fantastic and the work you're doing both as an executive coach and progressing into the area of trauma. I do recommend you read that book by Bessel van der Kolk, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, because it's fantastic. But I think you're doing a fantastic job with wholehearted leadership and uh, it's been a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, Vabronia. And if our, our listeners would like to follow you, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. Okay, great. And the links to Fabronia's LinkedIn will be in the show notes below. Once again, Fabronia, it's been a real pleasure having you. I enjoyed this conversation so much and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thanks for being part of this heartwarming conversation today. If you've enjoyed the show as much as I have creating it for you, I really appreciate it if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you won't miss a future episode. To the next episode, stay wholehearted.